to start conversations with people about Jesus. Um, because I worked in the church, I've worked in the church pretty much my whole life. And so like everyone who works in the church already knows about Jesus. And, uh, you know, I could go to the next office next to me and try to talk to them about Jesus, but it's not the same. So I would go just and try to meet people who hadn't maybe had a chance to talk about God. And what was so interesting for me was I would start to hear all these things that people thought about Jesus or felt about God um, and felt that they knew about God or maybe had been taught about God and that I would disagree with. And so I spent a lot of time, what I would call pulling up weeds in people's understanding of who God is. So um, I've, been, I've wanted to write a book for about 20 years called God's Not Like That. I haven't written the book yet, but uh, this is as close as we're going to get, apparently. So we're going to do a teaching series called God's Not Like That. Because I, I have said that sentence hundreds of times in my life. Sitting down, talking to somebody, and saying, and they're explaining how they feel about God. And I'm like, God is not like that. I, I can give you an example. I, I remember being young, and I was on Main Street doing the video thing. And after we got done, I was talking to the person. I said, so what do you... You know, what do you think about God? You know, do you go to church or not? And they said, no, I don't go to church because a couple of years ago, my youth pastor told me that if I uh, smoked, I was going to hell. And so I haven't been able to stop smoking. And so I figure I'm, I'm going to hell. I might as well not go to church. I thought, well, you know, I mean, we do want people to grow towards not smoking, probably. That would be a good goal in life. But I'm not sure that's like the litmus test that God's in heaven, like, you know, smoker, non-smoker, you know, hell, heaven. I don't think that that's really the point. And so it's stories like that. Or I met another kid who said, you know, um, I don't really go to church anymore. And I said, why? He said, well, because my youth pastor, like I was really involved and I was a leader in the youth group and stuff. And then my youth pastor started sleeping with one of our young adult helpers. And, uh, and I don't know. And I was like, yeah, I can understand why you wouldn't want to go there anymore. But, you know, so maybe God is just like, and then he would list all these things. And this is what I want to talk about. And I think that a lot of us have, even if you're in here and you've been a follower of Jesus for your whole life, I think we all have misconceptions and disillusionment around who God is. And so let me just tell you about myself. One of the things that I struggle with, because I've been a Christian, you know, follower of Jesus my whole life. I was raised in a Christian home, went to a church since I can remember, went to a Christian school up until college. I mean, I was steeped in this. And um, and one of the things that I can struggle with is feeling like God is really like hard to please. Um, like he's kind of already a little bit disappointed with me before I even start my day. Like he's kind of sitting on the edge of his seat waiting for me to mess up, which I know I will. And he's, and he's waiting for me to mess up and he's going he's gonna to pounce on that opportunity to just pour guilt and shame into my heart. And I don't know if any of you have a relationship with God like that. I hope you don't. But I, that's been something I've struggled with. And so I would connect things to that. Like if I felt like I was being good, and I would define this. Like, you know, let's say I read my Bible five times that week. Then I would feel like when I went to church, I could worship God with a cleaner conscience. You know? And it was all connected to my performance. Or if I had sinned uh, or messed up in some way, then, then I had something to pray about. I would feel like well, you know, God doesn't really, he's not going to answer this prayer because I've been messing up lately. And, I, and it, all my view of God got intertwined with performance. And, you know, I think this gets connected to another thing that I call uh, uh, Christian superstition, okay? So I think a lot of Christians have a superstitious faith. And so let me give you an example of this. Like, and tell me if you've ever felt this way. I know uh, not to throw her under the bus, but Mandy can feel this way. My wife can feel this way sometimes. But you have like... Um, 
you know, something that maybe, let's, let's say that you're at Wawa and you see a guy who's asking for money and you decide not to give him money. And you drive away and you go on with your life and then the next day your kid gets sick. Do you ever connect those two things? I wonder if God is punishing me for not being generous. Or, or you get afraid like, oh man, um, you know, I prayed only once this week or I read my Bible only once this week. And then you get something that happens in your life that you really need an answer for prayer and you feel like, oh, the percentage, like the chance, the probability of God answering this prayer just dropped from like 50, like that's a good day, to like 10%, right? Anybody? A couple of people, you just don't want to admit it. Especially, I think this is more long-term Christians. Now, maybe if you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, or you have only been for a little while, maybe you haven't been able to gain that much baggage over time, which is really good. Um, so we, we need you to help us. But, uh, but you might have other things. Like, so if you aren't a follower of Jesus, you might look at God and think, you know, I don't know that I want to follow God because most of the Christians I know are miserable, you know? Like, they, they can't do this, and they can't do that, and, and they, you know, like, do you know what I mean? But I don't want to get into too many issues and, and like, stir the pot too much, but, like, you know, like, my, whatever. Like, they don't seem to be able to drink or go to parties. They don't know how to have fun, and, and you know, they're pretty just boring, and they kind of feel bad about themselves all the time, and, you know, and they sometimes make me feel bad about myself, and I don't know if they're doing that on purpose or not, but then once in a while, they do stuff that's totally different than what they say they believe in, and I don't know what to do about that. You know, you might have some baggage if you're not a follower of Jesus, and I think that that's all part of the, the, the complication of people trying to represent God. You know, God's not here right now representing himself, and he's asked us to do that. And so, so what kind of things do you believe that are maybe not true? And so I want to talk about specifically today that idea that God is just like waiting for you to mess up, that God's expecting failure, that you have to perform, that you better be good, you better be generous, you better be kind, you better read your Bible, you better pray, and you better pray enough, and you better pray the right way. And even if you prayed enough, you might not have prayed the right words, and if you didn't pray the right words, God's not going to answer you, and it is hard to get God to do anything good or nice for you. And I, I want to fight against that today, all right, because I don't think God's like that. So, I want to talk about, um, I don't remember my next slide, just to be totally honest with you guys. I have no control over it. Okay, good. This is what I want to talk about today. God's not wanting you to fail. So sometimes when I teach, I try to come up with one sentence. We'll talk about this a couple times, and I hope it like gets lodged in your spirit, like you know when you eat too much bread without drinking something, and it gets kind of lodged in your throat, right? God's not, that's what I'm hoping my teachings do. Super annoying, but you can't forget them, all right? God's not wanting for you to fail. He's planning for you to overcome. God's not waiting for you to fail. He's not waiting for you to mess up. He's not expecting the worst from you. Now, he knows. This is why he chose the word overcome. He knows you're not perfect. He knows I'm not perfect. He knows we're going to mess up. But he's making plans for us to be overcomers. He's planning for us to overcome. He's planning for us. I mean, the opposite of fail is succeed. But that opens up a whole other door of things that I don't want to talk about today. You know, what does succeed mean? And, you know, I don't think God's promising you that you're going to be rich and famous and have no problems in your life. That's nowhere in the Bible. So God's not waiting for you to fail. He's planning. He's making plans for you to be an overcomer. He's making plans for you to have a future full of hope, a future full of purpose, a future full of life. He's planning to give you life, to give you the fullness of life that he has intended from the beginning of time for you. That's what God is hoping and waiting for you. And I want to shift your and my perspective of who God is today, if I can. So there's a guy named Jeremiah um, that lived um, 
his, his ministry as he was called a prophet. So he spoke for God to the people of Israel. And his ministry started in the late 600s BC, which would mean it'd be the early of the numbers. Does that make sense? Like 620 BC to like 570 BC was around his ministry. And during uh, the middle part of his ministry, Israel was taken captive by Babylon. And so they were living in exile. They had been taken out of their country, living in exile. And According to you know, the prophet and the tradition at that time, they were being punished. So they were there because they had uh, chosen to forsake God and worship idols and do things that God hadn't called them to do. And so, listen, if anybody at any time could think God is just ticked off at us, it would be these people. And, and if you read the story, it kind of sounds like he might be. But this is what he says in the midst of that. So maybe you feel like you're living in exile. Maybe you feel like super distant from God or, or like you're on God's you know, naughty list, like, you know, kind of like Santa, you know? This is what God would say to you today. And so try to lay down. See if you can just like pull the wall down in your heart just for like the next 10 minutes and just hear this. So this is Jeremiah, God speaking through Jeremiah, and it's for today, for you today. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And I want to stop there before we read the rest. First of all, some of you are thinking, yeah, I've thought about the plans that you have for me, God. And, and I don't know that they're good. In fact, when I think about following God's plans for my life, it feels restricting. It feels like less of what I want to get. So I want to give you guys an analogy today. Um, we have a basketball team. I don't know if you know that, but we have a... Uh, basketball team here, our church, and um, we had our first game this week, and we are 0-1, a solid start to the season. We play the number one team uh, on Wednesday, so I think we're probably going to start 0-2, but after that, undefeated, baby. So um, we, we played basketball, or, or tried to, and the thing with basketball and all sports is that there are rules. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to play a game with, like, little kids who don't know the rule. Like, yesterday morning, um, Eden had her first basketball game, and the ref gave a lecture to the, all the parents, which is, you know, if you've ever been around parents and kids' sports, this was the most brilliant thing I've ever seen a ref do. And he was like, listen, I'm not going to call everything that you see. Don't yell at me. Basically what he said. He said, they're just learning the game. And so, you know, these kids would grab the ball and run and throw it in the air and dribble and then run and you know it's like but you know they're learning they're having fun but what if what if we played that way you know last Wednesday night what if I was like after we scored the first basket I grabbed the basketball and I ran out of the gym and I ran out of the school and I threw the ball into the woods and I was like we win you know time ticks down they couldn't find the ball we win if there's no rules there's no rules. There's no way to win. No one could be mad at me for that. If there's no rules, no one could be like, that's not fair. Well, <laughs> I mean, what's, how do you define fair? There's no rules. There's rules because the goal is to try to score, right? And so they, we make rules to facilitate that. So we make boundaries. So everybody has to play in the same place. We were in a huge gym that actually had two courts next to it. What if like halfway through, our team just ran to the other court and started shooting on another basket? We're like, two, four, six, you guys suck. You know, like, it'd be crazy. There's one court, there's lines around it. You know where to play. You know which hoop is yours. Have you ever done that? One time in my life, I scored in, in, in junior high, I scored on the wrong team's basket. My, I scored on myself. Because you know, when they sw- keep switching, it gets confusing. 
And I got, I got the tip off and I was like, yeah, like after halftime. And I was like, yeah, I got this. No one's guarding me. They make rules for a reason. They make rules so that you can actually have fun. Have you ever played a sport with someone who won't abide by the rules and who constantly fouls you? That's how I play. It's, I've heard it's annoying to play against me. No one likes that. No one likes, you know what else no one likes? Let me just talk a little bit more about this. No one likes someone who constantly complains that you're not following the rules, right? Okay, no, maybe that's just me. So think about this. The rules are there so that you can achieve the goal of the game. And I think that's what God's plans are like for our life. Could we start to think about, instead of God's plans is restricting, what if, what if, in fact, I think I wrote these down. What if God's plans are the best way for us to be who he created us to be? What if the best version of you, think, listen, the best version of you exists in the boundaries of God's plan for your life? You have freedom to go to the other court, to run out of the building, and often we do, don't we? And we often self-destruct, and we, we find out we need to come back to God's plans. What if God's plans enable you and I to truly live to live life to the fullest, to live life the way that God meant us to live, that you actually would find fulfillment, that you would say, this is who I was meant to be when you're living inside the boundaries of God's life for you. In fact, King David wrote a really cool psalm about this. He said, Lord, you are my only portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. This is a good thing. God's plan for your life is the best place that you can live. The best place that you can live. It will facilitate you being who God created to be, created you to be. So, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. <laughs> Just so you know, we're trying to fix this. We have a plan. We have a plan. We're going to implement the plan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. What kind of plans are they, God? I'll tell you. Plans to prosper you. And not to harm you. That right there, I think a lot of people could spend time this week meditating upon. God has plans to prosper me and not to harm me. God has plans to give me a hope and a future. Then, it's almost like then when you, get, when you grasp this, we'll have a relationship that will really be meaningful. You'll call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. These are the kind of plans, these are the kind of thoughts that God has about you. Right now in your life, you're, you're sitting here and you're in high school, and you might think, my parents keep telling me about Jesus, and everything seems to be do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. Every time I do something wrong, I get this lecture, and then they talk about Jesus, and they throw the Bible at me. You might be a teenager. You might feel that way. And, and, I, and, I, and I know. Like, I get that. But this is the truth, okay? I mean, God's plan for your life is a good plan. If you want to have a future full of life, full of goodness, full of hope, you can choose to follow God's plan for your life. And I don't know if you've lived long enough, but some of us in here have and we've chosen not God's plan, and we've seen what the consequences look like. And there are consequences, just like when I got frustrated at our game on Wednesday night that this one guy scored at will three times in a row down the court, and I decided he will not score this time. 
and I tackled him, right? I didn't totally tackle him, but I, I, I hit his arms as hard as I possibly could. And you know what? He did not score, but there was a consequence. And then he scored. <laughs> you can try to operate outside of God's plans for your life, but there's consequences, you know? We, we often, in fact, here's the thing. Sin, which is the Bible word for outside of God's plan, when we, when we go outside of God's plan, right, we, we invite those consequences that wouldn't be there if we have, had stayed within God's plan. And there's a separation. We start to feel a separation from him relationally. We start to feel a distance from God. And we start to see stuff go wrong in our life. So God's plans are good. If you're an adult, it's the same thing. I mean, adults, we, we think we've got it all together, but we're doing it. We're, we're, we're stepping outside of God's plan with our finances. We're stepping outside of God's plan with how we raise our children. You know, if you're a young adult, you have these temptations too, don't you? I mean, how do you decide what you're going to do with your life and the path that you're going to take? Because sometimes God's plans are different than your plans. Okay, I want to talk about so what? Real quick, we're, we're about to end. So what? Why should I care that, the, that God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a future and a hope, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. So what? Why does that matter for me today in America? It's cold outside. I'm excited about football. Why do I care about this, right? So here's four practical things I'm hoping might make a difference for you. First, God's not wanting you, waiting for you to... Fa- no, this isn't one of them. <laughs> you should look at your screen before you start talking. I just wanted to reiterate... So God's not waiting for you to fail. He's planning for you to overcome. You got it? You guys all memorized that already. All right, so I came. Oh, thank you. I love technology. Okay. This is what I was talking about right here. See, you knew I was going to get there eventually. God is more interested in restoring you than punishing you. So here's four things that are practical. And I, that are practical in the sense that they can shape how we view God. First, God is not interested in restoring, is God is more interested in restoring you than punishing you. Think about this. Uh, shame and guilt are not tools of God. What I've found is that churches love to use them because they can refine behavior and they can try to keep people in line. But God changes behavior through kindness and forgiveness. That's my experience of God. And I think that's what the scripture teaches us about Jesus. So when you walk outside of God's plan and you're sitting here, maybe you're feeling condemned. You're feeling like I've really messed up a lot lately. You're feeling distant from God because of things that you've done. God is more interested in restoring you. I know the plans I have for you. They aren't plans to punish you, to show you right, to prove you wrong, to put you in your place. The plans I have for you are plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope, not to harm you. He's more interested in restoring you than punishing you. God, oh, God believes in you even when you don't believe in yourself. I think that this is a sense of like a good, oh man, I'm going to tell you a quick story. So my son plays for this basketball coach and, and I'm praying for this guy because he's frustrating me because what he does is he only emphasizes what they do wrong and even when they do things like when they do things right there's silence like like that's how it should be and but when there's anything a little bit wrong it's it's pointed out and 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 i've watched this team stop having fun playing basketball i guess this is the day of basketball analogies really it's amazing 
I've, t- I've told three different basketball stories. Wow, I didn't even plan to do that. Okay, but God, God believes in you even when you don't believe in yourself. Like, I just want to talk to this coach, and I'm actually thinking about talking to this coach and saying, you could get so much more out of your players if you would start encouraging them instead of riding them every time they make a mistake. Those, those kids out there are afraid to mess up, and so they can't play. It's just like classic sports psychology. I don't understand. Okay. That's not the point. But this is who God is. God isn't like that. He's not like, ka, ka, like every time you mess up. Like, I knew you were going to mess up. Gotcha, gotcha. Smite you, right? Sickness in your kid, broken ankle, you know, messed up dishwasher. <laughs> like, I swear that's how I think of God. He's like this evil magician, like in heaven. Like, who, do you think he really cares about your dishwasher? He cares about you, he believes in you. He's like, yeah, I know you messed up. I knew that was going to happen. Guess what? You're going to do it again tomorrow, but I believe in you. See, he sees potential when you see failure. God doesn't have a super complicated equation for pleasing him, and he's not vindictive, sneaky, or mean. I couldn't think of a short way to say that. But I swear so many of us feel this way. Guys, can I just tell you, how many, if you've been a Christian for a long time, how many books are there out there of the seven keys, the 10 ways, the 15 secrets to prayer? to healing, to seeing God move in your life. First off, if they were honestly secrets, we would all have the same number, right? It can't be one guy found seven, another guy found 15, somebody else found 365, you can learn one each day. Like that's, and I get it, like and I'm not saying anything bad about those people and, and that's good, but I feel like the side effect of that is that it's like, hey, only the elite get prayers answered. Like you gotta be the best of the best of the best of the best to get a prayer answer. And even then, you got to know the seven secrets and the six doors and the five special ways. Like, what if you're praying to God and you're like, oh, crap, I forgot the seventh secret. Like, I did the first six things, but I forgot the seventh one. And God's like, sucks for you, you know? I know I know that your son's sick and is struggling with anxiety, but you can't remember the seventh secret. So God's not vindictive or sneaky or mean. I sw- Listen, you might not be sitting there thinking, I was thinking about this before I got here. But I bet now you're thinking, oh, I have actually thought that before. Or I have felt that way before. God is not, there isn't, he's not in heaven like with a super complicated algebra equation that you got to learn before you can pray. He says things like, I am your father. If you on earth know how to be good fathers, how much better me? Simple, plain. He says, let the little children come to me. He says, be like a child in your faith. That's not that. Have you ever talked to a kid? They're not super complicated. It's just, okay. And God sees your full potential and he'll use anything he can to help you get there. Here's the thing that sometimes gets complicated for us is like bad stuff happens in our life and we think God's doing the bad stuff to screw with us. And I would argue the opposite. The bad stuff happens. (laughs) I mean, God doesn't need to do that, right? We live here. There's enough bad stuff to go around. God doesn't have to author any of it. But he is always looking for ways to redeem. He's not a punisher. He's a redeemer. So when bad stuff happens in your life, he is involved, but he's not the one who was like, now I can teach you how to get up. No. Right? Life can knock you down, but he's always there saying, let's use this to get you to your full potential. Let's learn about patience now that you have this opportunity because your child screams all night long, every night for a year. This is a good time for me to help you learn patience. He didn't do that to you and your kid, but he's always looking to help you fulfill your full potential. See, God knows the plans he has for you and they're good plans. They're not bad plans. 
He has plans to prosper you, give you a hope and a future. He's not waiting for you to fail. He's planning for you to overcome. He's planning for you to have hope. He's planning for you to live a life full, to live a life full of meaning and purpose, to be who God's created you to be. So, we're gonna do a response and reflection time now. And we have something special today. Um, We're gonna have what we call communion. So there's a little table over there with little tiny cups of juice and little pieces of cracker. Now, if you are not churchy, I need to explain this a little bit because that, it can be weird and after I explain it, it might get weirder just to warn you. But so communion is, is basically a ritual that we do to remember that Jesus died for our sins. That's basically what it is, all right? And so the whole like thing is when you drink it, you're supposed to think about the fact that as he died, he bled. And as you eat it, you're supposed to think about that he sacrificed his body for you. All right? And that might creep you out. And if it creeps you out, you don't have to do it. Okay? That's fine. The meaning in it is you remember that Jesus died for your sins. That's, that's the simplest way I can say it. But if it isn't for you today, that's fine. But if you'd like to connect in that way, what we're going to do is we're going to have a song. We have about 10 minutes left. Okay? You're gonna have, we're going to have a song. You can sing along. You can go grab that and bring it back to your seat and just pray. If you've never done it before, what I tend to do is just say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins raising from the dead so that I could live the life that you intended me to live. Something along those lines and then I'd drink and eat the thing, right? Nothing magical about it. Wait, my screen went away. It's okay. Um, So you can sing. I didn't put communion on here but you can go get communion. You can get prayer over there. There's people ready to pray for you standing up against the wall. These are things you can get prayer for. You receive prayer today to break wrong views of God that are acting like barriers in your relationship with God. Or you can receive prayer today if you've had a hard time believing that God believes in you. Or if you're sick today, honestly, we love to pray for people who are sick or in pain because we do see God heal people. Just head on over there and get prayer. Um, The last thing I want to say is you got a little piece of paper, didn't you? I want you just to take that home. And maybe you don't want to sing and maybe you don't want to take community. Maybe you don't want to get prayer during the song. Just sit there and read that and pray about it. Just think about it. But take it home and just, I would encourage you to just Maybe read it a couple times this week and pray about it, about God's view of you, okay? So, could we end with prayer? Could you guys stand up with me? Let's just pray. Jesus, thank you that you have a plan for my life and you have a plan for every single person's life in this room, and it's a good plan. Thank you that you're a loving God who's patient, who's full of joy and goodness. Let us connect with that God. If you're here today and you're you're like, man, I've never heard of Jesus described like this. I could really connect my life with him. We offer this every week. No pressure. We don't want you to rush into it. But if you'd like to make a commitment to being a follower of Jesus, just raise your hand real quick. And the only reason I ask you to raise your hand is so I can come talk to you after the service is over, not because we're going to call you out. Or if you're here and you want to reconnect with God, you feel like you've been distant, you could raise your hand. So Jesus, we love you and thank you for this time. So we're going to sing and you can do one of those things we mentioned. So let's just enjoy this time of reflection.